Winter Journal, and these are the opening passages of the book. You think it will never happen to you, that it cannot happen to you, that you are the only person in the world to whom none of these things will ever happen, and then, one by one, they all begin to happen to you, in the same way they happen to everyone else. Your bare feet on the cold floor as you climb out of bed and walk to the window. You are six years old. Outside, snow is falling, and the branches of the trees in the backyard are turning white. Speak now before it is too late, and then hope to go on speaking until there is nothing more to be said. Time is running out, after all. Perhaps it is just as well to put aside your stories for now and try to examine what it has felt like to live inside this body from the first day you can remember being alive until this one. A catalog of sensory data, what one might call a phenomenology of breathing. You are 10 years old and the midsummer air is warm, oppressively warm, so humid and uncomfortable that even as you sit in the shade of the trees in the backyard, sweat is gathering on your forehead. It is an incontestable fact that you are no longer young. One month from today, you will be turning 64. And although that is not excessively old, not what anyone would consider to be an advanced old age, you cannot stop yourself from thinking about all the others who never managed to get as far as you have. This is one example of the various things that could never happen, but which, in fact, have happened. The wind in your face during last week's blizzard, the awful sting of the cold, and you out there in the empty streets wondering what possessed you to leave the house in such a pounding storm, and yet, even as you struggled to keep your balance, there was the exhilaration of that wind, the joy of seeing the familiar streets turned into a blur of white, whirling snow. Physical pleasures and physical pains, sexual pleasures first and foremost, but also the pleasures of food and drink, of lying naked in a hot bath, of scratching an itch, of sneezing and farting, of spending an extra hour in bed, of turning your face toward the sun on a mild afternoon in late spring or early summer, and feeling the warmth settle upon your skin. Innumerable instances, not a day gone by without some moment or moments of physical pleasure. And yet pains are no doubt more persistent and intractable. And at one time or another, nearly every part of your body has been subjected to assault. Eyes and ears, head and neck, shoulders and back, arms and legs, throat and stomach, ankles and feet, not to mention the enormous boil that once sprouted on the left cheek of your ass, referred to by the doctors as a when which to your ears sounded like some medieval affliction and prevented you from sitting in chairs for a week. The proximity of your small body to the ground, the body that belonged to you when you were three and four years old, that is to say, the shortness of the distance between your feet and head, and how the things you no longer notice were once a constant presence and preoccupation for you the little world of crawling ants and lost coins, 
of fallen twigs and dented bottle caps of dandelions and clover. But especially the ants. They are what you remember best. Armies of ants traveling in and out of their powdery hills. You are five years old, crouched over an anthill in the backyard, attentively studying the comings and goings of your tiny six-legged friends. Unseen and unheard, your three-year-old neighbor creeps up behind you and strikes you on the head with a toy rake. The prongs pierce your scalp, blood flows into your hair and down the back of your neck, and you run screaming into the house where your grandmother tends to your wounds. Your grandmother's words to your mother. Your father would be such a wonderful man if only he were different. This morning, waking in the dimness of another January dawn, a scumbled grayish light seeping into the bedroom, and there is your wife's face turned toward your face, her eyes closed, still fast asleep, the covers pulled all the way up to her neck, her head the only part of her that is visible, and you marvel at how beautiful she looks, how young she looks, even now, 30 years after you first slept with her, after 30 years of living together under the same roof and sharing the same bed. More snow falling today, and as you climb out of bed and walk to the window, the branches of the trees in the backyard are turning white. You are 63 years old. It occurs to you that there has rarely been a moment during the long journey from boyhood to now when you have not been in love. 30 years of marriage, yes, but in the 30 years before that, how many infatuations and crushes, how many ardors and pursuits, how many deliriums and mad surges of desire. From the very start of your conscious life, you have been a willing slave of Eros. The girls you loved as a boy, the woman you loved as a man, each one different from the others, some round and some lean, some short and some tall, some bookish and some athletic, some moody and some outgoing, some white and some black and some Asian, nothing on the surface ever mattered to you. It was all about the inner light you would detect in her, the spark of singularity, the blaze of revealed selfhood, and that light would make her beautiful to you, even if others were blind to the beauty you saw. And then you would burn to be with her, to be near her, for feminine beauty is something you have never been able to resist. All the way back to your first days of school, the kindergarten class in which you fell for the girl with the long blonde ponytail, and how often were you punished by Miss Sandquist for sneaking off with the little girl you had fallen for, the two of you together in a corner somewhere making mischief. But those punishments meant nothing to you, for you were in love, and you were a fool for love then just as you are a fool for love now.